Hey everyone, it's Taylor and Brendan from Blue and Gold Make Darlene. They tell you about the Hockey Podcast Network. Goddamn right we are. You know, there's an entire network. It's not just Blue and Gold Make Darlene. There's 31 podcasts, one for every NHL team. From terrible, horrible teams like the Boston Bruins to some of the best teams in the league like the Buffalo Sabres. Absolutely. And with that being said, if it's a terrible team or if it's a great team, no matter what, you are able to get two episodes a week from all of the hosts. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday with new content covering everything from the latest that's going on with everyone's respective teams all the way through to doing more fun things like the many trivia games that Taylor and I have on our show. That's right. Hot content, hot takes, hot hosts. Hot hosts. You got it everywhere. Uh, and you you can find them pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spotify. Stitcher, if you're one of those weirdos like me that uses Stitcher. You use even, Stitcher? I do. Strange. I think I'm the only one who does. Okay. And even at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com if you're looking for some more info. There's a whole website That's that you right. could go check and hey, out. Maybe it's getting to that point of the season where you're getting sick of the Sabres. I know some of us are. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, this West again. Coast uh, trip is about to be tough. Maybe you want to check in on some of your other favorite teams if you're one of those kind of guys. Absolutely. Well, they're all available and they're all easy to find. Gosh darn right. So be sure to check out the Hockey Podcast Network once again at their website at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Blue and Gold Make Darlene. As always, I'm Brendan, and this episode, I am Taylorless. He is out of town right now in Brooklyn for the rest of the week, and so I am recording this episode solo. However, I am very, very lucky to be joined by an awesome guest who Taylor and I, I believe, have mentioned on the podcast that we've wanted to have on several times. Uh, previously, she's an awesome follow for not only just Sabres Twitter, but for hockey Twitter and for anybody who has a huge crush on Marco Scandella. Uh, I'm very, very happy and excited to welcome Hannah, who is the host of the Woman Advantage podcast and co-host of the Balls and Sticks pod and That's Offside podcast. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's always great to meet another Marco Scandella, Stan. Absolutely. Well, uh, so, I mean, just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your three podcasts? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, a couple of them are on hiatus while uh, the world burns around us. Um, <laughs> but the one that I do on my own, where I interview um, women around hockey, Woman Advantage, uh, the name, it kind of explains it. I've been having um, women from around the league and just around hockey in general come on, talk to me about how they got started in hockey and kind of how we can make hockey a more inclusive space for women and people of color. And it's been really cool. I've put out, I think, 10 episodes at that this point uh, and got a couple exciting ones coming up. And in the hockey off season, I'm hoping to expand out of just hockey and into other sports and other women and working in sports. But yeah, that's a uh, kind of pretty high level. It's mostly me fangirling while talking to people, to be honest. <laughs> That's usually how we are when we have guests on. It's but no, that's that's amazing though, and obviously it's just something that in an area that is in, increasingly becoming more you know evident to the public eye and just important too. I mean, it's always been really important, but it's just I, f I feel like it's just been an issue that for obviously far too long went you know unaddressed. But now, I mean, not only in hockey, we're starting to see across you know uh, a lot of sports for that matter. 
um, you know, women taking on more prominent roles, whether it's in the NBA uh, or NFL as coaches or within scouting. Um, and so I, I guess I'm just curious to hear your thoughts right now just on how you feel, you know, the movement of, you know, getting more women involved in these spaces and having greater representation is going currently like within the NHL, you know, where we're at now and where the road ahead should lead to. I mean, it's about time we've had, you know, women in front offices doing things beyond just social media and marketing, which tends to be where most women get pigeonholed totally. just, you know, based on gender breakdowns, uh, you know, seeing teams start to hire female scouts is really exciting. You know, Blake Bolden is now scouting with the LA Kings and, you know, big Blake Bolden fan here uh, in this house. We love and respect Blake and, you know, just kind of seeing teams take an approach of actually hiring the most qualified person instead of the best connected person is nice. I don't think it's happening often enough, but you know, the only way to take steps forwards is to actually take those steps. So when you look at teams, I'm going to get booed, but like the Maple Leafs <laughs> who <laughs> have, have hired women who were either, you know, prominent women in women's hockey or just around the league in general have started to like expand their scouting departments and their coaching staffs. Um, I think it's really cool. I think the Sabres have a lot of work to do. Um, <laughs> I know that Kim Pagula is the president of, of the, you know, uh, the teams, I guess at this point, both of them, but it's, it's really frustrating to see just kind of the lack of gender and racial diversity uh, on the Sabres staff. And I'm trying to use my platform, small as it is, to kind of raise that issue. Well, I mean, I think it's something to be said, though. You know, you could say that it's small, but I, I think for one, I mean, just, you know, your, your general following on Twitter and the fact that you have listeners, um, you know, who kind of look to you, you know, as a voice. I mean, I, I know I could speak for myself. I mean, I know we kind of recently connected within the past couple of weeks. Um, but I mean, I've been following you for a bit. And, you know, you've always been somebody who I've kind of looked to as a voice for, you know, just who's a, a prominent vocal supporter of just increasing the, the very much needed representation. Um, so one thing that I'm actually curious about just to, to get your thoughts on, I mean, you had mentioned a couple there, uh, a couple of women there. Um, but I mean, I, what are some, who are some women who are currently, you know, in the league right now who you feel as though are, are making an impact? Well, or I definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm most of the women that I interact with, um, in the league are reporters and the hockey reporting base actually does have a really good amount of women, which is awesome. So women that I look to kind of look up to, uh, Alison Lucan, number one, number two, and number three, really. She's, <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. And she works really closely with the Blue Jackets. She was like the Blue Jackets reporter for the team for a while. Now she's with The Athletic. Um, I also, you know, really respect a lot of the women who are working in women's hockey, uh, not necessarily in the NHL. So kind of just looking at the women who have either stayed with the NWHL and the women who have kind of branched off and are trying to get more money, which fair with the PWHPA kind of following that. Um, I've been really trying to get into following and like talking about women's hockey more frequently because one, I'm a Sabres fan and it hurts. Uh, and two, um, they play really good hockey and it's really fun to watch again, particularly when your team has fallen apart around you for the last decade. Oh. So 
Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my biggest thing with kind of supporting women in the sport is if you have a favorite team, there is likely a woman who covers them, whether that is for a, you know, blog or the athletic, or, you know, if you're lucky and you're a Bruins fan, you've got Marissa and Jemmy who covers them for the Boston Herald. Um, so kind of just like looking for that female voice because they are often, um, just not talked about as much and trying to read their stuff and amplify their stuff. Um, that's really important. And just, you know, yelling about the team on the internet is also a thing that I do. So just like Sabres, if you're listening, hire <laughs> some ladies. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I'm sure that the Sabres, uh, I think we all can agree that they could use a lot of advice and a lot of uh, new fresh faces with fresh ideas in the organization that is very much needed. Um, but one thing that I actually wanted to, to go back to that you had brought up there um, was the NWHL. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding pretty much over the past year just with regard to, you know, funding. Obviously, we saw, you know, the Pagulas had control over the Buttes for a while there. Um, and, and for, I believe it was only a season, actually. But in that time, really, you know, kind of had a big hand in raising the profile of the team, you know, where people would, you know, come to Buffalo and play for the Buttes and, you know, being a part of that organization, it kind of felt like it was like a next level for, you know, um, for women's hockey as a whole, which was great to see. And it really felt like the game was, you know, on its way to taking a huge step forward. And then of course, obviously, as I had alluded to before, um, there were some issues, obviously, and as you also mentioned too, also just from like the player side of it, um, which of course were very warranted. And so, you know, when thinking about like the future of the NWHL, a lot of people, you know, have looked to like the NBA and the WNBA as an example of, you know, a system that a lot of people would want to see the NHL, uh, you know, take on where they really kind of help get the game off the ground. I mean, we've been seeing a ton of, um, well, uh, you know, starting to see representation at the all-star game with, you know, the women's event this year. I mean, that was one of the highlights, I think, for a lot of people just in terms of the entertainment value. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious what you think about, you know, something like that, where, you know, the future of the NWHL, is it, you know, something where we want to have the NHL kind of take that over to help it get it off the ground? Or do you think there's an other, another avenue to really look to? So I, I just have a lot of beef with the NHL in general. And so I find it hard to trust them to take the women's game and actually grow and develop it in a way that mirrors what the NBA has done with the WNBA. Mm -hmm. The NBA is just a better league. Miles and miles and miles (laughs) better. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they've done a, the NBA has done a really good job of one, amplifying the players in that league to kind of make them the faces of it. And two, um, they've done a good job of getting the players, the men invested in the women's game. And that's really important for growing awareness, particularly when you've got, you know, stars like LeBron James going to games in LA and cheering on the women. And, you know, in hockey, it was really cool to see what the Pagulas did last year with the Buttes and the Sabres and seeing the guys wear Buttes hats after games. And it's really disappointing that they've kind of distanced themselves and, you know, sold off their portion of the team. But I also understand kind of where it's coming from. Like the NHL doesn't really want to be involved in that league because they have this line that is, you know, we don't want to get involved in women's hockey until there's no league. And, you know, the NHL owns the rights to the WNHL. Um, they, they've owned that since the 90s. And I'm pretty sure it's since the 90s. But it's, it's really frustrating 
when you you've got this league that dumps money into you know growing the game initiatives around the country but they can't dump it into a you know trying to make a sustainable women's league um and I was actually uh, talking to Erica Ayeli from, you know, she writes about the WNBA for The Athletic and she is a, you know, analyst for the WNHL and WHL. <laughs> and she mentioned that in the early 2000s, there were actually two women's leagues. And that's kind of where we were this time last year with women's hockey. There were two leagues. And one was the Women's American Basketball Association, the WABA. And they played kind of as like the the NWHL plays. So they played during the basketball season when the men were playing. And then you've got the WNBA that played in the summer and was sponsored by the league. So I think that long term for the health of the women's game, they will probably end up under the NHL umbrella, which is disappointing. But it's, you know, it's probably what's going to happen. It's just a matter of when I think at this point mm-hmm. and whether that is the NHL acquiring the NWHL and you know buying them out and you know taking those teams and adding a couple extra teams and then switching to that more you know off-season model so that there's hockey all year round but it's not just it's men's hockey during one part of the year women's hockey during another part of the year I think that's probably what's going to end up happening but Again, it's a matter of, you know, how that happens and is it going to be the NWHL folding? Are there going to be, you know, three more years or four more years of some of the best women in the game holding out? I don't know. Um, but it, it's frustrating because there's a lot of really good women who aren't playing professionally right now um, because they can't afford to. Like they've had to retire at 22 or 23 and take office jobs to pay their bills. And then there's women who are you know, the better known women like Hillary Knight, who, you know, she, she can afford to make what she was making in the NWHL because she had sponsorships. So she's using her voice to, to try to amplify it because there are women who just couldn't afford, you know, $10,000 a season. That's not a livable wage. So it's, there's a lot of layers to it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just, I barely scratched the surface with that little rant. <laughs> No, no. I, well, and you brought up a really great point that I, I truthfully, I got to be honest, I guess I didn't really think about, which was the incompetence of the NHL and Gary Bettman. Um, you know, because I, 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 that's an excellent point that, you know, on paper, it sounds like it would be great where you can just kind of model after the NBA, you know, how they've handled it with, I mean, pretty much from like the top down as far as like scheduling goes and then also engaging players. Um, you know, how the NBA players, how you alluded to like LeBron James and everything and, and translating that to the NHL. But as we've seen time and time again, you know, the NBA lays out a lot of initiatives that other sports leagues, you would think it would just be a no brainer. Like, oh my God, why isn't everybody doing this? And, and usually the other two of the two major sports do, but the NHL always seems to be lagging behind a bit in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it makes me think about, I think it was in the early nineties, there was a sports illustrated cover that said the NBA is over and the NHL is the future. And, you know, <laughs> here we are now. Um, it's definitely not the case. Yeah. The NBA also has it a little bit easier because there are fewer players in their league. Each team has, you know, at most, I think 15 players on a roster, whereas in the NHL, you've got, you know, 23 roster players. So it can be easier to get consensus within that group because there are fewer of them. And the NBA has leaned on their stars and has become a stars league. And the NHL just has not managed to do that for whatever reason. And 
yeah, yeah, I just don't trust them. <laughs> yeah, no, rightfully so. I, I mean, mo- I would say probably with the exception of of Adam Silver, all of the commissioners in the rest of the leagues, you really don't, you shouldn't feel comfortable about trusting, because uh, they certainly have not given anybody any reason to. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I can, I everything you said was was so spot on, and you know, I, I appreciate that insight because there were a few things in there that I, I really didn't think about before, but that kind of you know gets get your head spinning a little bit more. So, uh, just to kind of wrap up on this, um, you know, part of the conversation, uh, you know, the end game for all of this, obviously, as we were just talking about there, having you know the NHL really put the effort and funds into uh, a sustainable women's league that is paying them, you know, living wages, uh, you know, for the very awesome product that they're putting on the ice uh, in terms of organizationally, of course, it's, you know, more representation in coaching staffs and scouting and uh, you know, front offices. And then eventually, you know, and, and ownership as well. Um, and this is a bit of a vague question, so I apologize, but just in your mind and in your experience, you know, what is, how are we going to get there? Well, that's, that is a a very loaded Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is the people who are already in, in the building, essentially the people who are already a part of the organization need to step up and actually open doors for people instead of promoting, you know, their friends or, you know, whatever, you know, that, that happens in every industry, but it feels particularly prominent in hockey. You know, most broadcasters played or, you know, came up through a system, you know, they played at some level and you don't necessarily see that in every other sport. Mm -hmm. And so hockey is just kind of incestuous in that way no <laughs> I don't to, know if- and for what it's worth too a lot of times you know player people will use like being a player as like a prerequisite for actually like being an announcer but we've even seen here in buffalo with uh, a couple of radio show hosts who will remain nameless but are also pretty obvious it doesn't matter if you play in the league it does not mean that you are going to give the best commentary yeah yeah so i think it's about kind of blind hiring in that respect, picking the best person and not necessarily picking the person that you feel like the organization owes something to because they played for you. And the Sabres tend to do that a lot. You know, Rob Ray probably shouldn't be, you know, doing what he's doing. Yeah, He's not that good at it. There are plenty of people who are incredibly talented at, you know, color commentary that could be doing what he's doing so much better. But because he's a former Sabre, they, they have him doing it. Right. And Same with Reve and Peters. Obviously, that's who yes, I was talking yes, about. Let's just yeah, throw it they, all out there. They yeah, suck. <laughs> they do. They really do. I think that there's, there's also a need for kind of mentorship and paths forward for women. I don't think that, you know, you should take a woman who has never called a game and then suddenly have her call a game. I think that would be disastrous. Mm-hmm. But there should be, you know, at youth levels, you know, programs to help get women in the door or at least, you know, like mentor them through their, their new experiences, just like you would in any other job. There needs to be kind of those different ways to lift people up from untraditional backgrounds. And an untraditional background in hockey could literally be just like you haven't played hockey before. And we as fans need to kind of accept and understand that there's going to be bumps along the way. It's not going to be a, an easy path 
path forward, mm-hmm. but to continue to call out the you know the bullshit when we see it and i kind of think that's that's what i've been trying to do is just call it out when i see it and then i have to accept that my dms are going to be flooded with some some dudes who don't like that i think that we don't necessarily need former players doing play by play and i don't know i think that the biggest thing is people on the inside need to step up and i don't think that that's going to happen with the people who are there right now that is very fair and an unfortunate harsh truth that it's it's incredibly hard to see but with that being said one thing i will say though is that you know increasingly you're seeing more and more women across the board i mean obviously you know you were mentioning some of the like higher profile uh you know female journalists uh who cover like nhl teams also one who automatically comes to mind is like sarah siv who covers the canes for the athletic who uh, again it's it's pretty disappointing that these women are just incredible writers or have great insight but you know because they didn't play in the league before they you know for whatever reason well i mean we know the reason but they you know <laughs> don't have as much of a space as as men do who are quite frankly just meathead assholes um yeah. <laughs> i mean really though uh and but what I was going to get to, though, is that, you know, on, you know, those women at like who are kind of at a more visible level who are writing for like The Athletic and uh, and, and other sites. But, and then all the way through to, you know, women like you and like Melissa Burgess is another one who comes to mind locally who, you know, not only are strong advocates for the game, but also or for for representation and for, you know, women's hockey and and everything that encompasses both of those things, but also just from like an educational sense too. And at the very least, if we can't move the needle, at least in my mind, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but if we can't like actively move the needle right now with the entrenched powers that be within the league, at the very least, if we're mobilizing fans and, you know, making sure that more fans are getting educated on these issues and that's going to lead to more fans like calling for it, if for the need for it, then I mean, at least ultimately, ultimately that is at least a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, hockey Twitter is kind of an echo chamber sometimes, but you know, I know that most of the women on there that I know that I'm friends with are not yelling and complaining about the league and the way that we feel like we're being treated sometimes by other fans or organizations isn't because we don't like hockey and we want hockey to fail. It's because we genuinely love it and we just want to feel like there's a space for us. And, you know, teams like the Seattle, whatever they're going to be, the way they're building their front office gives me hope for the future of the league because they've done an excellent job of creating a front office that looks like the city of Seattle. And there are women in their front office. Their analytics department is very female heavy and it's some of the smartest minds in hockey. And I think that if other teams could kind of look at what they're doing and see that you can build a successful team, and obviously we'll have to wait and see how successful they are on the ice, but if you can build a successful organization with you know people from different non-traditional backgrounds that anywhere can do it. It doesn't just have to be in Seattle. You could do that in Florida. You could do that in Minnesota. Hell, you could do it in Buffalo. Right. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that is just a mentality that goes farther than hockey. It's really just any business organization, entity, whatever, the more voices you have and the more diverse they are, the, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. It, it, so the last thing that I actually want to ask, I have one more question on, on this topic for you. You know, for some people who may be listening right now, they're hopefully, you know, learning a lot if they don't already know a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, but just as a whole, I mean, can you, you know, in your opinion, you know, what can, you know, me, just men in general do to be allies, you know, in this fight for, you know, equal representation? Uh, I would definitely say just first and foremost, uh, don't add us. <laughs> like, just <laughs> don't reply to our tweets creepily. That's like the biggest thing. Um, probably don't slide into people's DMs with like a, hey, pretty lady. That's yes. creepy. Um, and don't do that in public either, but like particularly on the internet. Um, also, retweet and like just like use if you are somebody who has a big platform like instead of like creating your own tweet or like quote tweeting just retweet someone's stuff um like help amplify voices instead of trying to like like yell about it yourself sometimes and if you're just like hanging around with your group of guy friends don't let them get away with being misogynists like it starts with like what you say at home and like, if you are a guy who's hanging out with some dudes and, or even a girl and you're hanging out with some guys or whoever, and they say something like women can't like hockey, they just like it because the guys are cute. Then like, tell them that's not true. Bite them. <laughs> like, just tell them that's not the case. And I mean, yeah, Marco Scandella, very handsome. <laughs> but also I'm like able to separate the fact that I think he's really hot from the fact that he actually had a pretty decent start to this season and that I think the Sabres should have probably tried to get more for him than they did in that trade. Like it's possible to contain multitudes in your, you know, fandom of hockey and just right. like understand that. And, you know, especially men on the internet, just like, don't be dicks. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> being fucking weirdos, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's All basically right. it. So, I mean, I got to say, and I'm sure I could speak for, I, I know I could speak on behalf of Taylor and he would echo this and I'm sure I could speak on behalf of our listeners too, but that was a, a very refreshing and just overall awesome conversation and I appreciate your insights so much. So with all of that being said and the inspiration that we just got from that conversation, let's, let's just turn it around and just get real angry. The Sabres. Uh, I mean, at this point, everybody who's a Sabres fan is rightfully so a, a major critic of the on-ice product, the off-ice product, and I want to talk about both of these and get your thoughts with you. Um, but let's start with on the ice. So the Sabres are coming off of a 3-2 shootout win against the Capitals, which broke a six-game winning streak. Still not in very good shape. I believe they sit right now sixth last in the NHL. Uh, and I think that San Jose, who I believe is like third or fourth last, is only like five or six points behind. So complete free fall of this season. This is your first time on Blue and Gold Make Darlene. And so I'm just curious, general thoughts on, on just everything Sabres on ice right now. I mean, man, it's like every season you come in with like this little glimpse of, glimpse of hope. And then every year around New Year's, you're like, well, wonder what our draft lottery position is going to be this year and that's what it was again and it's it's just 
increasingly hard to root for this team or even want to watch the games, um, which is sad because I come from a I'm, I'm from Cleveland originally, so I'm a fan of the Browns and the Cleveland baseball team, and they like to hurt me a lot. And I'm so I, sorry. <laughs> I still watch all the games though, and I've reached the point with the Sabers where like I put them on, but I don't want to. Like mm-hmm. I do it out of like a sense of obligation. I hate watch. I do the same. Yeah, I've talked to so many people that we just hate watch. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, so it's really hard. Um, and it it sucks so much that Jack Eichel is having a career season and he's had a couple down weeks because I'm pretty sure he's broken and he's playing (laughs) through it, but it's just, it sucks watching, you know, what is potentially a top 10 player in the league in the next couple of years play on this team. And I just want him to be able to play in the playoffs, not just like, because I'm selfish and would like to see it, even though I really would. I just think that, you know, there's, there's something wrong in that front office and I don't know what it is because you'd, you'd think after 10 years of rebuilding, they would have built something, (laughs) but, but they just, they just like gesture to Jack and they gesture to Darlene and they're like, look at these two, we've got them. And I'm like, do something with them. You have the two things most teams would kill for and you're putting nothing around them. Could not have said it better myself. And to your point about Jack with being selfish with wanting to see him in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if it, if it's selfish or not. We have a right to be selfish about this stuff because <laughs> I, I tweeted something like a couple of weeks ago, like pre-trade deadline, where it's it, it is just unfathomable to me that, like you said, it, he's having quite frankly a heart trophy caliber season. But he's now been with this team for five years, and we just are not going to be able to see him in the playoffs because of the fact that his style of play and just his overall demeanor would just be the most exciting thing to watch in a playoff atmosphere. I mean, if there's anybody on the Sabres that I think is built to just thrive in the playoffs and not just, like, because of his talent, obviously, but, like, it's Jack. And it's yeah, so disheartening that they just – cannot seem to figure it out and put it together. And, and I completely agree that clearly something is going on in this front office that how in the world you cannot figure this out where, you know, we're, go- we're about to become the fourth team in NHL history to have a playoff drought of nine seasons or more. I mean, that's just like unfathomable. Half the teams make it, more than half. Like, wh- it, it just does not make any sense to me at all. It doesn't to Taylor. It doesn't to anybody at this point, considering that they have, like you said, the two core pieces that you need to build a franchise around for long-term success. So with that being said, I mean, our eyes are obviously on the off season at this point. We know that the playoffs are not happening. What do you do about Jason Botterill and therefore Ralph Kruger in your opinion? What's the move? So, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on Sabres Twitter and talk to a lot of people on Sabres Twitter and, um, Anthony Scandra from, you know, beyond the blade and all that, um, brought up the really good point that this is one of the only times that you could fire your GM and have essentially a clean slate. There are so many contracts coming off the books this year. You don't have to wait out, you know, a Bogosian. You don't have to wait out most of them. And you have an opportunity to bring in, you know, new players, make some trades, make some good draft picks in theory. And I think that if they don't fire him this off season, then they just shot themselves in the foot for another two years, three years, because any moves he is making and would make are going to be desperation moves. And 
Like he's had a couple of really good trades fall into his lap. Like Jeff Skinner fell into his lap. And I don't want to give him credit for that because Skinner waived his no movement clause for one team. It's because he wanted to be closer to home. It, it wasn't because Jason Botterill went and wooed them with like right. a huge package. They just wanted, the Flip. Hurricanes wanted to get rid of Skinner and he lucked out. And he's, for every good move he's made, he's made two dumb moves. And you can't build a team like that. You can't build a team by trading away a bona fide, like second line, first line center and Ryan O'Reilly and get back literal garbage. <laughs> That's not how it's going to work. But then the coaching staff also had made a lot of questionable decisions this year, like from not playing Evan Rodriguez and not playing Lawrence Pilot and not playing Colin Miller. Like, over like playing Bogosian or playing Sabatka before he got hurt. It's just wild to me that the organization kind of from top to bottom just doesn't seem to understand the direction that hockey is going in. And like you have players on your roster and in your organization that would fit the style of play that one, it seems like the coach kind of wants to play, but two, the league is playing. Right. And instead of doing that, you're going backwards. And you're like, no, we need heavy hitting players. I'm like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. If you have players that are hitting a bunch, then they probably don't have the puck. It's just, it seems like the front office doesn't understand some of the basics of hockey. And that's really bothersome. Yeah, that's probably putting it lightly, not understanding. the. I mean, it's unfathomable. And one of the things that I've kind of realized as this season has gone on, and obviously as, as things have gotten increasingly frustrating is really with both Botterill and Kruger to an extent, we were kind of sold a false bill of goods. I mean, Botterill, you know, I think everybody was really excited when he came on board. Uh, of course, we know he was interviewed back when, uh, before they hired Tim Murray, like in that round of interviews. And then when it came time again, when Tim Murray got fired, everybody was was pretty firmly on that train. You know, you hear the great stories about how he was pretty crucial to the success of the of the cup winning teams for the penguins how he's a cap wizard and then you run into a situation like this season where now we're going to be forced with having a cap penalty next year because we're up like over the cap now and we're not even close to being contending for a playoff spot like it's one thing if this is like tampa doing this or something but the fact that it's a team that is going to have a potential top five pick there's really no excuse to that for me also, I mean, obviously we don't know what happened with like the Jeff Skinner negotiations and, you know, you got to do what you have to do to get that signed. But for, for being the cap wizard that he was proclaimed to be, the fact that he couldn't talk him down more, um, you know, with that, with the average annual salary there, that was a little bit surprising. Uh, and then with Kruger, you know, we, we hear everything about how, I mean, obviously he's an intelligent guy, but the fact of the matter is, is we were told how, you know, analytical he is in his thinking and that he's, he's very numbers based and had a nice balance of both, you know, the, the, on like the eye test also with mixing the numbers in. And then, you know, with making questionable moves with not playing Jeff, like on top of what you had said already, you know, not playing Jeff Skinner in overtime or not or giving him 10 minutes a night, what have you. Um, the misuse of Rodriguez. I mean, really the misuse of Shiri, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of makes you wonder who is doing this evaluating and, and bringing these people on board when clearly they're, we're all being duped. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Kruger, I am a little bit more willing to be lenient because the roster that he has is not good, but he has not been good at utilizing that roster in a right. way that makes sense to me. Like you mentioned Jeff Skinner. 
there's an issue when your coach really seems to have a vendetta against the second highest player paid player on your team. Like that's just an issue full yeah. stop. And there was a point mid season where things seemed to be crumbling around them. And instead of shaking things up, he, he kept that top line together. Whereas he could have potentially bumped down Olafson and Reinhardt, put them with someone else and given to Jack two other wingers because Jack is the kind of player who can elevate and you could have potentially had two scoring lines. Imagine that. Like, move Skinner, yeah, move Skinner up with Eichel. They have they're proven to play well together. Do that. Give them Shiri, and then have Reinhardt and um, Olafson play with Rodriguez, and that could have potentially been a decent one-two punch. Not the best in the league by any standard, but better than what we had. And obviously, hindsight's twenty-twenty. But I feel like we were yelling about that while it was happening. Um, that is the key point to me. Yeah. Like, it, it's not a matter of us like looking back after the fact and being like, oh, that would have been a pretty good idea. Like from the get go, you know, we have that everybody's been calling about calling for this. And also, you know, we mentioned it before, but it, like Sabadka, that that was the most puzzling thing to me. Why you are continuing to give minutes to a player who was quite literally, statistically speaking, the worst player in the NHL last year. I mean, and, and I agree with what you're saying, though. I, a few weeks ago, uh, it was probably about a month or two ago, um, Taylor and I were talking about all of this and, and just about just the roster not being up to par in general. And I had made the point that, like, obviously, like, it quote-unquote matters, but the decisions that Kruger makes, in a way, like, indirectly don't necessarily matter. Like, yeah, he's not giving his team the best chance to win by his lineup decisions, but the lineup that he is given is no matter what he does is not going to be good enough. And so Mm -hmm. for me, like the, the core of the blame falls on Botterill's shoulders for thinking that he could just ice this garbage shit product and, and think that they were going to be good enough to compete for a playoff spot. Yeah. I, it's that. And then, then you look around the league at teams like Arizona and you know, the Islanders who have, arguably less star power, like less firepower. And they're still in, you know, clinging to playoff spots in most cases. Minnesota and, even is another one yeah. too. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating to think that had there been like one additional move made, two additional moves made, they didn't have to be big moves, just like middle six moves mm-hmm. made that this team could be fighting for a playoff spot. The Leafs aren't that good this year. Florida is not that good this year. There are two teams at the top of this division that you, you know, you're not going to, unseat but that third spot was realistically up for grabs and my michael froleek isn't going to get you over the hump (laughs) oh don't we know it now (laughs) no i I, and that's a great point too because it's the same thing with you know after the hot start this year and then looking at the 10 game win streak last year you had a chance where you were definitely outperforming the actual talent of your team but this year, especially even more so, like you knew what the rest of the division looked like. And you knew that if you could have made those supplemental moves, it would have made all the difference. And he just sat on his hands and didn't trade for Michael Froelich, of all people, my God, until January. Like you really think that that's going to move the needle and make you better? I mean, he was supposed to come and help the penalty kill and he's been horrible on the penalty kill. You know, it. they just have a serious problem with evaluating forward talent and it it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this off season, because quite frankly, this is probably the most important off season that we've experienced. If not in Sabres history, like in our collective lifetimes, 
um, just with everything that's at stake and all of the money that needs to go out and all the money that's going to be available for that matter. And so I don't trust him to be the one to get that done. And I'm assuming that I'm glad to know that we are all on the same page. And by we all, I really mean everybody who has watched the Sabres hockey game this year. Yeah, everyone except the ownership who would make that decision is on the same page, it seems. <laughs> oh, great. Aren't they the best? <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little, we, we all are just going through just a nice little decade of misery right now, which is just wonderful. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about before uh, we let you go, uh, I alluded to this earlier, but the game presentation, 50th anniversary celebration, uh, you know, the gaffes with the jerseys, of course, we know about uh, most recently, um, no acknowledgement of International Women's Day or not having a pride night until after the fact when they got called out and caught about it. Um, it it's just a, a mess off the ice as well. And so just generally, I mean, any thoughts on, on what's been going on there? It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well put, that about does it. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it kind of comes back to, you know, how we started this conversation with making hockey more inclusive. Um, you, there are a finite amount of straight white dudes to watch hockey. Like you have to expand the fan base at some point if you want to make more money. And that's what it comes down to is making more money. And by not having, you know, a, a simple tweet about international women's day being one of three teams to not do that. Like that just is a really bad look by not having a pride night by just like in general botching the 50th jerseys the like all of it all of it there was so many different ways they could have approached this 50th season and i think vancouver has done a really good job with theirs and buffalo has just buffaloed it like we <laughs> oh <laughs> we, god <laughs> they they managed to mess up something that should have been an easy home run and that's really disappointing because the 50th anniversary jerseys were really cool and instead of ordering enough, they were worried they weren't going to sell. And so they ordered too few and now fans are upset. And instead of, you know, doing a good job and like spell checking names of players, they didn't do that. No, and just doing the bare minimum. Like, yeah, it, it seems like there, there just isn't a lot being done for the fans. All it's of like the stuff that's, care. yeah, all the stuff that's being done just feels like it's second thought. And I mean, it's really exciting that they're going to have a 2010s night, but they could have subbed <laughs> that out and done a pride night on the schedule. Or you could have done that and a pride night because there wasn't a theme for every home game. Right. Well, and, both, I mean, both, of course, should have been done, but I would much rather, you know, have the Sabres host pride night than have, you know, 2010s night featuring uh, Zinn and Kanopka or whoever yeah. the hell they're going to have show up. <laughs> yeah. Like there's there were enough home games on the schedule that you could do all of the 50th anniversary stuff and some nights for, you know, a pride night. They did other nights. <laughs> yeah. They did a nurse's night this year. They did a ladies night where they, you know, said, come drink wine at the arena. And I was oh. like, no, thank you. I will drink beer. Um, <laughs> not there's anything wrong with wine, but wine at the arena is like $13. Disgustingly um, over for it's everything. So, it's so expensive. And just like, the general in-game presentation to fans has not updated in God knows how long. The seats are uncomfortable. The seats are gross. Uh, no offense to DJ Milk, but <laughs> like we could, you could have a better in-game DJ. It yeah. could be a little bit more fun and innovative. And instead of doing that, 
they've continued with the same because it hasn't completely failed and you know, it's passing and it's getting by and that shouldn't be what you want to do, particularly when you have a bad team, bad teams need to bring people to the arena. And to do that, you have to have fun things going on in the arena. You need to have a good social media presence and you need to be engaging with your fans in a way that isn't just like, Hey, we're putting good hockey on the ice. You know, we can't skate by with that in, in this market. And they've been trying to, and that's really frustrating because it would take like four changes, like hire a new or a second social media person to run your account. Like the LA Kings did last year where they joked about how bad they were and like highlight your young players like the Leafs do in their videos or like reupholster the seats so that they're not gross and they're slightly more comfortable. Clean the bird poop off of them, you know? Yeah. Like lower the prices at the concession stand by a dollar because they're making so much money in those concession stands and you'd have more happy fans in the building. And it's those small things that they just haven't done, like raising season ticket prices after nine straight losing seasons. That's weird. Shouldn't do that. And like, it's just very frustrating because as a, as a fan and as a person who like has worked in marketing and works in sales, like I understand the things I need to do to get people to purchase my product. And it seems like they just don't. Totally. And it's funny you say that too, because I've actually, I've, I've tweeted about this myself a handful of times for my personal account. Like I work in public relations. I, I work for a firm and like to a T, they pretty much have done everything that you are not supposed to do in terms of handling any, even the s- smallest sliver of criticism all the way down to just general interacting with like the fans via social media or, you know, whatever it is. I, it just, it is unfathomable to think that they just can't seem to ever just figure out the most basic low-level things like you said a handful of changes would go such a long way and they just for whatever reason reject any kind of change and it's incredibly frustrating yeah yeah Yeah, basically sums it up (laughs) yeah pretty much the one thing i will say though as a, a defense of dj milk is that i disagree with everything about him and his role in it but i will give credit where it's due at a Sabres game earlier this season, he, in the middle of the intermission, it was like the kids on the Jumbotron or whatever, and they panned to like a baby. And he goes, shout out to all the babies in the building. <laughs> I've never laughed that hard at a Sabres game in my life. And I was like, all right, maybe this isn't so bad right now. You get a pass for today's game. But after this, I'm going back to not yeah. <laughs> Maybe just like update the music that he's licensed to use. Oh because it God. seems like he's been playing the same 10 songs for the last five years. It doesn't, you are a hundred percent correct. And it is, it's so frustrating. Like just get with the times just a little, please. Like just do the bare minimum, <laughs> which they can't even seem to do that. But Hannah, thank you so much for your, your all of your amazing insight. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate it. Everybody listening, be sure check out Hannah on Twitter at hburrito92 and check out her podcast as she was talking about before, Woman Advantage. Definitely give it a listen, follow her, subscribe to her podcast, all that stuff, and do everything that she was saying because that is that's what we need to do to grow the game and and to have more inclusive voices and. You know, I think that as Sabres fans, we are very lucky to have a voice like you within our fandom. So thank you very much for coming on. And we hopefully will have you on again sometime. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. It kind of turned the tables on me. I've gotten so used to interviewing people that uh, it's kind of nice to be in the hot seat for once. Very nice. Well, we'll have to have you back on again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, Since Taylor is not here, we're not going to do our random, or actually, you know, maybe we can do that. So Hannah, one thing that we do to close out all of our shows is Taylor and I will count down like three, two, one. And then we just think of some random obscure Sabres player. It could be somebody from the seventies to somebody who was on the team last year. Uh, And it's usually the way that we close it out. So if you would be interested, uh, potentially we could do that together. Just think of anybody you want. Yeah, I'll say my favorite random saber. Fair enough. All right. Well, before we do that, everybody, make sure you check out the Hockey Podcast Network online at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to check out all of our sister shows, uh, every team across the league, uh, obviously besides the Sabres. I know this is probably really hard to keep listening to, just our misery <laughs> week after week, but I, we appreciate it. But if you want to listen to like good teams commentary, go check them out. Check them out on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. Check us out on Twitter at Blue and Gold Cast. Once again, thank you so much, Hannah. And we are now going to both simultaneously say our random Sabres player of the episode in three, two, one. Semgis Gergensen. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>